My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with my friend, Eva, who is a vocational rehabilitation counselor. Eva has a master's degree in rehabilitation counseling from San Diego State University. She recently obtained a doctorate in educational leadership, special and counselor education from Portland State University. Her professional background is focused on case management, career development, and vocational rehabilitation counseling for individuals with disabilities. Eva is a strong advocate for folks with disabilities who wish to achieve employment and to be integrated into their community. Eva currently works for Oregon Vocational Rehabilitation as a vocational rehabilitation counselor. Eva and I know each other from ASL class back in college, and she and I got together um, probably about a year ago. We're chatting about our lives and catching up, and she told me a bit about being a vocational rehabilitation counselor, and it really piqued my interest because I had never heard of this before. So she offered to come on the podcast and share her expertise. Essentially, vocational rehabilitation is a government service to help people with disabilities or special needs who are struggling to maintain or find employment. Counselors like Eva will work with individuals to advocate on their behalf and connect them to a variety of other services and agencies that can help with their employment. As I've mentioned many times on this podcast, I have been unable to work for the last six years because of my chronic mystery illness, and I had no idea that this service existed. It's something that I personally will be looking into and you know, hopefully taking part in. I have been unable to find consistent employment that works with my chronic illness, and the fact that there's a government agency specifically designed to help people like me to figure that out is kind of mind-blowing to me. So I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to have my old friend on the show to learn all about vocational rehabilitation and to hopefully spread the word about something that a lot of people could really benefit from. It's important to mention that this is a really broad topic, and we try to cover as much as we can to give you a sort of overview of what is possible with vocational rehabilitation. But if this is something you're interested in, there's so much that we can't possibly cover in a podcast like this because this is such an individualized field. Everyone's disability and needs are unique. So if you're interested in vocational rehabilitation, uh, this is a government service that is available in every city in the entire United States. So all you have to do is hop on Google and search for your nearest vocational rehabilitation office to learn how to sign up for services. But stay tuned on the podcast because Eva will share so much information that will really help to you know get you started on this journey. Eva will note that a lot of the specifics of her field change from state to state. And also, it's important to note that she is one individual. Her opinions are her own. And this is not intended as any sort of, you know, official government advice in any capacity. Uh, this is just a broad conversation to introduce you to what this field can offer. Before we get to our conversation with Eva, I wanted to share something that I have learned recently. So, you know, I've talked a lot about my application for uh, social security disability, which I've been working on for a while. I've already been denied twice, and I'm at the point where I need to get a lawyer. So I've been sitting on this for, for about a month, trying to decide if that's something I really wanted to do because I was, you know, 
assuming it would be really difficult. And I wasn't sure I had the energy to gear up for this fight. Um, but I decided to call around to a couple of disability lawyers in the Seattle area. And the first person I talked to was absolutely fantastic. He talked to me for an hour, told me so much that I had no idea about. And I just wanted to share a couple of bullet points with you. If you are someone who is applying for disability, I highly recommend that you just jump on getting a lawyer right away because most disability lawyers will charge you nothing unless you win your case. So unless you are actually awarded disability, you don't have to pay a thing. And a lot of these lawyers will just not take your case if they think it's unwinnable. So I'm in the process right now of this lawyer you know, reviewing my file, deciding if he wants to take on my case. And he told me, you know, my case is extra complicated because I don't have a diagnosis and there is not a consensus among my doctors about what is happening. And for cases like that, it can be really tricky to find a judge that will, you know, award disability. But he did tell me something that I found really heartening, which is that, you know, I have been trying for years to be productive and to be active and to do something that, you know, fuels me and makes me feel like I'm not just wasting all of this time when I'm home sick. And that's, a, you know, it's this podcast. This podcast is a huge part of that. And he said that the fact that I'm doing this could actually look really good in the eyes of a judge because it shows that I am trying to be productive. So I thought that was really interesting. One of my big questions was whether or not it was worth it to pursue disability, because I'm really trying to get back to a place where I can go back to work. And, you know, I, I'm doing better on this new medication. I've made so much progress. I just really kind of felt like no judge would award me disability in that state. But he told me that that actually really helps my case and that I might actually, you know, be awarded a closed period of disability. If I'm able to go back to work by the time I get my uh, hearing, which is going to be at least nine months from now, because these things move slow. If I've gone back to work by then, I can still get awarded back pay for disability for a closed period. I had no idea that was a thing. So, you know, it really lit the fire under me to say, hey, let's go for this. Let's really try to get this disability payment because I haven't been working for the last six years. Even if I just get a closed period, that would be so helpful. And, you know, my health is still very rocky. I'm, I'm really not at a place where I'm ready to go back to work. Uh, I'm getting closer and closer and I hope to continue in that direction, but I'm not there yet. So it makes sense to, to continue to work on trying to get disability because if I'm not able to go back to work anytime soon and I am awarded disability, that would be massively helpful in my life. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. That conversation happened right before I recorded this interview with Eva. And we do talk about a few of those things uh, with Eva because she has some familiarity with how all of these processes work, you know, all of these uh, administrations kind of cross over each other. A lot of people that she works with are already on social security disability before they come in to vocational rehabilitation. So, man, there's just so much to know. Being chronically ill or having a disability, there's no handbook for this. And there's so much to know. And so much of this information is kind of critical to leading a productive life. So I'm really excited to be able to share some of it here on the podcast. This is definitely not what we normally do. This podcast is designed to share the stories of people with chronic illness and disability, uh, chronic pain, mystery illness, invisible disease, 
that's what we talk about in this show. I normally just interview someone living through something and sharing their personal story. But whenever something like this comes across my lap, you know, a, a great opportunity to share some really valuable information with this community, I'm going to jump on it. And this is another one of those um, great opportunities that I'm so excited to share. Extra special thank you to our community of listeners who are supporting this show with financial contributions each month through Patreon. If you are interested in supporting this show, gaining special recognition and gifts, and monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. There are three tiers of support, $2 per month, $7 per month, and $25 per month. So you can get bonus content for as little as $2 per month. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month. Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Your continued support is so appreciated. At the beginning of each month, my partner Andy and I record a bonus episode for our Patreon community, and it's going to come out uh, a little later in the week than it normally does because Andy and I, as we mentioned last week, are about to go to Disneyland. And I'm excited to talk about the experience of going to Disneyland in a wheelchair because this is something I've never done before. Andy and I had a phone call. Well, I guess it was a video call with uh, one of the team members at Disneyland to set up my special pass to, you know, show up in a wheelchair. So we've le- we're already learning a ton. It's super interesting. Um, we're really excited to record a bonus episode about that when we get back from Disneyland. So for the whole Patreon community, keep your eyes out because that will be coming within a few days of this episode's release. Another great way to support this podcast and to support yourself is to sign up through Rare Patient Voice to participate in research studies and surveys while you can get paid for sharing your experience with your chronic illness or disability. No matter what your diagnosis, they are looking for your expertise, and you can earn an average of $100 per hour for participating in these research studies and surveys, and you'll be helping your chronic illness or disability community by sharing your experience in the hopes of advancing scientific research. If you use our link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, you will also be supporting this podcast while you sign up. You can also find that link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Major Pain. I hope you will subscribe to the podcast and join our growing community of people who are sharing their experiences, spreading empathy, learning about rare diseases, and, you know, having some laughs. I love doing this. I'm so glad you're along for the journey. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Eva about vocational rehabilitation counseling. Eva, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jesse. It's great to see you. So good to see you. We have a lot to talk about today. Yes, Um, yes. I'm very excited about this. It's going to be a little different than our normal show. But before we jump into that, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? All right. So my name is Eva. As you know, um, I was born in San Diego. I have three sisters. I'm first generation um, Iraqi and Jordanian. Uh, My parents immigrated from the Middle East. They met in Detroit, Michigan, huge Middle Eastern population. Then they moved from Detroit to San Diego after my two older sisters were already born. And then they had me and my younger sister there. So I've always lived in San Diego up until five years ago. My husband and I moved to Portland and Oregon to be closer to his family. 
And it's been a great shift for me, you know, just to get out of my San Diego bubble and I can always go back and visit family. My hobbies, um, we have a three-year-old daughter. So spending time with her, being outdoors whenever we can, whenever the weather is nice. We've got gorgeous summers here. So mm -hmm. I like hiking. I find it to be very peaceful. Um, going for really long walks. You know, I, we like to do that. Um, I like to binge like crazy on apps, <laughs> TV apps. I'm a definitely a show binger, unfortunately. I'm one of those. So what else do you want to know? <laughs> oh, I want to know what you're binging because <laughs> I'm one of those too. Oh, well, obviously. Okay. Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Oh, I finished the last episode. I love that show. There's a new one I'm watching right now I haven't finished with called um, From Scratch. Mm. It's a beautiful love story. It's really nice, actually. It's interesting. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's really, really good. Cool. Okay, so we're, we're doing something a little different today. Um, mm -hmm. You have a job that is something that I'd never heard of before that is kind of relevant to the community that listens to this podcast, and to me in particular. So we're going to learn about what you do today and how it might impact the lives of people with disabilities. So you are, a, you are a vocational <laughs> rehabilitation counselor. And I had to write Correct. that down because I couldn't remember it. So what is a vocational rehabilitation counselor? Um, so voc vocational rehabilitation counselors are counseling professionals. They either work for state agencies or private agencies, and they coordinate services to individuals with disabilities who experience impediments to employments. And they need help getting through those barriers so that they can work in their job successfully long term. Mm. Um, so we work with clients on making self-informed decisions relating to their career goals. And um, we provide them, there, there's a wide range of services that we coordinate for individuals and it looks different for everybody. And it has to be related to helping them address whatever barrier they experience on the job um, as they move forward. And so, um, for example, you know, and it's also helping them keep the job they already have. Okay, so there are a lot of folks who come in and they start to experience barriers with their hearing. If they're able to get a hearing test through their insurance, they provide us with the results. And if it turns out that they need hearing aids, we can pay for them to get hearing aids. And so after they get the hearing, this is just an example, after they get the hearing aids, we monitor the effectiveness of how it's working for them and how they're able to do their job. Um, and if at a certain amount of time, because we follow timelines based on the policies, if all is good and they no longer need services, we can close their case and we call it rehabilitated. Yeah. So I have tons of questions for you. Um, yeah, how did you get into this line of work? So I graduated with my bachelor's. Um, I wasn't a traditional college student. I finished it in my early 30. I was 30 and it was in women's studies. So obviously it was focused a lot on hum human rights. And at the time I was working for a corporation and I wasn't very happy. So I started looking at master's program at San Diego State University that was focused on, you know, human rights, right? And so I started looking at counseling programs and um, the one that really, really stood out to me that I thought was really unique and I never heard of it was called rehabilitation counseling. And so I started emailing one of the advisors and um, I got really good information from her, applied to the program, got in, and it was a beautiful program. And the master's program, again, rehabilitation counseling, it focuses, again, like I said before, on helping individuals make self-informed decisions about their career goals. So there are options. You can either work for private agencies, state agencies. You can earn your LPC 
you know, work on those um, credentials and open up your own practice. Some people go that route. Um, you can work for the county serving individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, which is um, what I did for a year before I went over to Voc Rehab. That's the uh, Voc Rehab is the acronym, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I did that. That was wonderful. Um, the majority of the people I serve are individuals who have intellectual and developmental disabilities because that's my passion, helping them become more integrated in their community, especially with equal employment, because for the longest time they didn't have that opportunity. Um, they were working in sheltered workshops, getting paid some minimum wage. That's no, you know, because of class action lawsuit, Lane v. versus Brown in Oregon, um, that's no longer happening. And I think also, too, when I graduated from the master's program, I wasn't quite sure which direction I wanted to go because in my internship, I explored three different areas. And um, when I learned that one of the options was to go and work as a case manager for the county serving individuals, and IDD is the acronym that I use for that. Everyone uses, but I just wanted to explain that so it's not confusing. But um, when I knew that that was one of the options where people were going, I said, oh, let me try that because I think I would really enjoy it. Wow. Just based on my past experience. Let me try that first. Yeah. Well, I commend you for it because it's really, I mean, it's really important work. Thank you. Thank you. And what's really cool is when I moved here to Oregon, I didn't know if I was going to either work for the for VR or Voc Rehab or the county serving individuals with IDD. And I connected with somebody who's now my manager. She's awesome. I connected with her to talk about what it would be like to work for Voc Rehab in Oregon because, you know, it, it can be a little bit different, even though the policies are the same from state to state. And let me just mention Voc Rehab is available in like every city in the country. Mm. When I met with her, she had educated me about this class action I mentioned, the Lane V versus Brown. And so um, she said that you can have a caseload that's dedicated to serving individuals with IDD. Now, I don't only serve individuals with IDD. I have other folks, too, in my caseload who experience other disabilities. Um, That's just the majority, but they're not the only folks I serve, if that makes sense. Yeah. So let's walk through. I know you can't give... uh personal information of people that you work with, but let's walk through some hypotheticals. Let's say that there's somebody who has a chronic illness, since that's something we cover on this show a lot, who has a job that they are trying to keep, but they are not having the energy that they used to, or maybe they're flaring up in some way, and they come to you for help. How would you help someone like that? So the way that that works is they usually come in for an intake. And let me also explain the process, because that's going to really help. Mm -hmm. So I need a client for an intake. And, and I do have clients on my caseload who experience chronic pain. So, um, you know, I meet, a, I meet them for the intake meeting and we have to follow guidelines. And so after the intake, I have 60 days with their permission. Um, I get a signed release of information form and I fax it to their doctor's office or medical clinic and I collect all of their medical records. And with their permission, I review those records and I determine how their diagnosis can be a barrier to employment. And I then make them eligible for services. So then once they become eligible, I meet with them again and we talk about their next steps. The next step, and I won't get too deep into the administrative part of our job, like the processes, because it can be really confusing. So I'm going to try not to dig too deep in that. But um, basically, essentially, we put the individual into a plan for employment. This means that after they've been eligible, they're still interested in services. And together, we develop their plan in employment that identifies their abilities, their concerns about going back to work, and how Vogue Rehab is going to support them and their job goal. 
So first, when I'm talking with the client, even though it's self-informed, we want to make sure I want to understand what is it that they want to do and how realistic is it based on their abilities and how can we support them do this job successfully. And so if somebody with chronic illness wants to do office work, because that's the majority of their experience, what we do is um, when they start looking for work, we teach them how to request accommodations because that's really, really important. So we promote self-advocacy. So if they're going to get a desk job, we want to make sure that their desk, the way that it's set up, it meets their needs. And so what we'll do is we hire a prof- we'll hire a professional to come over to their work site with the client's permission to do, um, it's called a work site modification. And so they take all the measurements and then they provide me with a list and then they'll do an assessment. It's actually an assessment. And then they provide me with a list of everything that is needed to help this person work comfortably. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's an example of what we'll do. We also will, a big thing that we do, we refer them to an agency that we work with or a company that provides them with assistive technology. They can work with them on finding out what kind of adaptive equipment they will need in addition to do their job successfully. So for we've paid for wheelchairs, walkers, On rare occasions, we do vans. If somebody needs an adaptive van to drive, Mm. it's called V modification. And it's, it sounds like it's very individualized. You know, it's great to, it's great to get sort of like an overview and get people's imaginations going about how this, if they need something like this, how this service could apply to them. Who, who pays for this? Is this something that insurance covers? Is this, does it come out of the pocket of the, of the individual? How does this work? It's a government agency. Wow. The government pays for it, comes out of our taxes. Now, if the individual makes a certain amount of money, which is rare, doesn't always happen. If they do, then they're expected to contribute financially to the okay. services that are coordinated for them, which is rare. That hardly ever happens. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that this existed. So people can just contact vocational uh, rehabilitation agencies throughout the country and get help with these things. Yes. That's, yes. that's kind of mind-blowing to me because I went through this process of like losing my job slowly because I couldn't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Um, and I had no, no one ever mentioned anything like this to me. I had no idea this existed. This was years before I ever got a wheelchair, which leads me to my next question. What do you do for someone who, whose health is preventing them from working? So here, here's another thing I wanted to mention. I was thinking about this earlier because I had a feeling this topic would come up. One of the things we have to really, really consider is um, we want to make sure the person is physically ready to work. So now we're talking about people with any disability, um, but right now let's narrow it down specifically to individuals with chronic disabilities. Um, we want to make sure that they are physically able to work. And if it like if I have a, I had a client that once told me um, I can't remember what his diagnosis was, but he kept experiencing he was very fatigued and um, he was constantly he was always dizzy. Like he would sit for a while and then get up and be really, really, really dizzy. And he even said, I don't know if I'm ready to work, but I'm scared to close my case. And so I told him, you know, don't be afraid to close your case. You can always come back and reopen at any time. In fact, you can request to work with me if that's what you choose to do. Um, But if you insist on keeping your case open, I'd like to see you provide me with a letter from your doctor giving you the release to work. So that's a big thing because there are times where clients walk in the door, but they're not quite ready. 
And so if it if it's clear to the counselor that the individual isn't quite ready to go back to work, we would ask that they provide documentation from a medical professional because then because, you know, of course, we don't want to put them at risk and make the situation worse for them. Yeah. And if they're not ready to work, do you then refer them to applying for disability? Is that sort of how that process works? We, we can provide them with guidance. Um, so, uh, most of the folks that come in are already collecting Social Security. Mm-hmm. So it's either Social SSDI or SSI. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already collecting. If they're not, we can guide them on how to go about applying, but we're not involved in that process. They kind of have to do that on their own. Um, we can always recommend other resources that might be helpful to them that we know about. And so it's never just like, okay, we're closing your case. Bye-bye. You know, it's okay. So maybe right now it's, it's usually an agreement with the client. Oftentimes it's an agreement. We're going to close your case. We've agreed that right now, you know, the doctor doesn't recommend that you work, that you have to rest. Maybe they need surgery. That's another thing is oftentimes they'll, they'll have an upcoming surgery that they have to do, and then they need time to recover. And so obviously want to encourage them to work when they're going through all that. Yeah, this so it's so interesting because I I kind of exist in the gray area where you know, like I I've improved a lot on my new medication and I've started to wonder am I ready to go back to work? But my big fear is like if I go back to work, will that make me worse? And what job would I even do? Mm-hmm. Um so for someone like me, am I in a position where vocational rehab is right for me? Cuz I'm also I am pursuing SSDI. And I just I spoke to a lawyer for the first time because I've already been denied twice and now I'm now requesting a hearing. And I learned something incredible that I didn't know, which is that um, I always thought that I had to make a choice between going back to work and applying for disability. But what I learned is that you can get temporary disability. So if, if I go back to work, I can still get disability for um, yeah. a year prior from when I applied all the way up to when I go back to work. I would still be yeah. eligible for that, which I didn't even know. So it's like, well, pursue both at the same time. Try to go back to work. Try to get disability. That in, instead of choosing one or the other, that's what I've learned. I can do. You can, and and I'll explain that. I'll dig deeper with that. One thing I do want to say, Jesse, say like you and I don't know each other, yeah. and you live in Portland, and you came into my door, and I'm working with you, and you say to me, Eva, I don't, I want to work, but I just don't quite understand what my limitations are and what jobs would be suited for me, right? Another thing that I can do that I've been wanting to mention is I could refer you to a physical therapist to perform a functional capacity exam. So they would do a, it's like, it's a thorough physical exam that will determine how long you can stand without feeling pain, you know, and how long can you raise your arm or there's all types of um, things she'll have you do. And then at the end, she writes um, a report indicating the results of the exam. And then she might recommend some jobs if you want to go that route. Like if you ask her, hey, can you recommend some jobs? She might do that as well. Um, if you if you say that you want to work in a specific job and she doesn't recommend it based on the results of the, the results of the exam, then she'll say, you know, client says he, he or she or they want to work um, at a hair salon, but not sure this is a good fit given these results. Okay. So that's that's another thing that I which I have done with clients. Interesting. Um and what do you do for someone whose physical abilities vary based on the day? You know, a lot of condi- my condition included, but a lot of conditions some days will be functional and some days not, and that's for me the biggest barrier for going back to work is not knowing when that will happen. Yeah, I think also it's really really important in that situation to work for an employer 
that um, where you're comfortable disclosing that and you're comfortable getting those accommodations. You know, like for example, Thursdays where you have to call out and that situation, because that can happen in any job, Jesse, any job that can happen where there's days where you just, you can't work, you know what I mean? Because of that. So it's going to be important to work for an employer that will accommodate you um, by taking certain days off when you just can't work. And is that something that government services can help people find? Because that's the thing where I haven't been able to figure that out. Like, how do I find a job where I can go in when I'm up to it and not when I'm not? Yeah. And so the way that this could work too, in that situation, I would probably connect the client with a job development agency that can help advocate for them. And with the client's permission, they would talk with the employer and disclose about the disability and work out an agreement on meeting your needs and accommodations. That's one way of doing it. I don't, so um, job development services is a huge service that we coordinate. It's typically, typically for individuals who experience intellectual developmental disabilities or mental health disabilities. But um, in some cases, it can also be really beneficial for folks who have physical disabilities. Cause in that situation, like what you just said, that's when I would say, okay, I think this makes sense now to have you work with a job developer um, that can help advocate for you. Amazing. Wow. You're, you're really blowing the roof off of what I thought about how this works, about how like being, you know, chronically ill or disabled and trying to work. The way that I thought that worked is very different from what you're telling me. And these are government agencies that exist mm-hmm. everywhere. So this, this mm-hmm. is kind of, kind of mind blowing. Why doesn't, why doesn't society at large know about this? I mean, this is kind of outside of your realm of expertise, maybe, but as someone who works in the field, are you kind of aware of the disconnect between people not knowing this exists? I don't know. I don't know. It's so funny. I have had so many people tell me that they, like for the math, a lot of people don't know about the master's program. And so they'll say, yeah, I went in and applied for social work. I didn't get in, but then they sent me a letter saying, hey, you might be a good fit for the rehabilitation counseling program. Maybe apply for that. And that's how they knew about it. Mm. Like I said, I only knew about it because I looked it up and I thought it was really interesting. Um, I don't know. I really, really don't know. I Some people, when they see it, they, there have been people that assumed it was just for drug rehab, people who have addictions, who are recovering from drug addictions. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I knew. <laughs> wow. Well, we're trying to change that today. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. I mean, this is so valuable for other people to hear, especially, you know, you. including myself. Um, yeah, yeah. So if, if someone wants to start this process, what do you do? Do you go online and search voc- vocational rehabilitation in your area? So I would recommend that they go, um, literally, they, they Google vocational rehabilitation in the city that they live in. Yeah. So like rehabilitate, um, Portland vocational rehabilitation. Yeah. And there's a government website that pops up and it kind of guides them on how to go. Um, it tells them what to do. They can contact. What they do is they would have to make a self-referral and they contact the front desk. The front desk takes their basic information and will schedule an appointment just like that. Some wow. some offices are really busy, so they might have to wait a month or two. You know, oftentimes um, they're booked out, but they will get that slot no matter what. 
they get yeah. the slot. So they're booked out. Someone knows about this existing. <laughs> yeah, and another thing too, Jesse, I forgot to mention, some clients find out about the program from friends and family members who know about it, who have also have gone. And um, in the schools, like schools know about it. So like, for example, um, individuals with disabilities and special education programs, um, the schools will offer that to them as they transition out of the high school. So that's one way of knowing about it. Um, some doctors will recommend it to patients. Do you need to have a doctor's note to get started or can you, you can just call on your own? No, you call on your own because we have to do the eligibility process no matter what. And so once the individual calls, they make their self-referral, they do the intake meeting, they sign the release, and then the counselor is responsible for collecting their medical records within those 60 days from the first day of intake. They have to collect the medical records and determine their eligibility from there. So a doctor's note is not needed because of that process. Okay. It sounds like it's really easy to get started, which is amazing. Yeah. What, what sort of things would disqualify someone from being eligible? Such a good question. That's a beautiful question. If the, if the disability that they experience does not get in the way of them performing their job successfully. Mm. That's the biggest thing. So for example, somebody can come in the door and say, well, I have a learning disability, but it's never stopped them from getting the job that they want to work in. Now that's very gray. Yeah. If somebody can make a case for it, they say, well, yeah, but it's stopping me from get this from getting this one job that I really, really love. Maybe the counselor can support them. It just depends. It's case by case. But oftentimes, if they don't have, um, if they if the diagnosis or the barriers that they experience, bottom line, if it doesn't get in the way of them performing their job, then most likely they wouldn't qualify for services. Okay, because it's all all about employment. This is strictly employment. Another thing is sometimes we get clients that come in and they'll ask for something and we can't justify it based on their needs. It just doesn't fit with with how with their goals. It doesn't fit with how we're going to support them with moving forward and their employment goals. And it's not aligned with our policies. And we'll say, well, so-and-so got it. This other person had it and this other person had it. And it's really important to understand that every individual is different. Everybody has different needs and it's always case by case. And we can't always speak to why this other client who we have no idea, we've never met them and we have no idea who the counselor is. We can't speak to why that decision was made. Yeah, totally. But it's really important for people to understand that. Yeah. So I, I, with my limited knowledge about, you know, social security disability, I know that if you make more yeah. than a certain amount, you lose that disability. True. Is that something you have to balance out when you're working with clients who are on um, SSI or SSDI? So this is what we do. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I was meaning to touch up on that. So a lot of clients who come in most of the time, like majority of the time, they're already collecting either SSDI or SSI. And so what we do is if they choose to have this um, additional service, we tell them once you get a job, we can go ahead and refer you to benefits counseling program, and they will assist with you on how to go about reporting your income what this will look like, how much money you can or can't make until you start losing those benefits. Yeah. We are not experts in that area, so we don't advise. Like I try really hard to stay away, to refrain from saying things like, as long as you don't exceed this much a month, you don't have to worry about it. Um, I try to be careful with that and I always leave it up to the experts. And so the only barrier with that is they're, they're um, waitlisted out, like they're booked out for a couple months. That's the yeah. only downside. 
that. And so they're so busy. Um, but I do know that folks can continue collecting, I believe it's SSI, for as long as they want, as long as their work hours don't exceed the limit, their wages. They have it set up where they can earn those wages that they're getting and they can still keep their SSI funds. And I still refer them to, um, it's called the Work Incentives Program. That's what they're called. And they offer the benefits counseling. And I still offer that to them because it's really important for them to be able to connect with somebody as they're moving forward. It sounds like there's a lot of different departments and referrals and people that are set up with, within government agencies to help people with all sorts of disabilities. And it sounds yes. like, I mean, I've never heard of a, a lot of these organizations that you've mentioned, but it sounds like going into vocational rehab can branch out into all these other areas where you can be referred to other people to help you with specific aspects right. of your individual needs. Yeah. And just to keep in mind, some of the acronyms I'm using and the names could be special. It's um, it could be just known in Oregon. So like mm. California might call it something else. Sure. I don't know what California calls it, like work incentives program. They might call. I don't know for sure if it's the same, but they might call it something different because I know just from working with the IDD services, a lot of the services that we coordinate in Oregon are titled differently than how we do it in California, but it's the same service. Cool. Yeah, that's really good to point out. But vocational re rehabilitation, that's going to be across the board. That's well, kind of some agencies. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, if you Google it, you're still going to find what you're looking for. In California, they call it Department of Rehabilitation, DOR is the acronym, Department of Rehabilitation. But if you Google vocational rehabilitation in San Diego, you're going to find what you're looking for. Okay. So they slightly use different acronyms. I think in Washington State, where you're at, I think they call it Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. I believe that's the Okay, good name. to know. Yeah, I think our DOR is Department of Revenue, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, up here in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned a couple of accommodations that could be provided for someone with physical disabilities. Um, mm -hmm. What about, you know, uh, IDD accommodations, intellectual developmental disabilities? What yeah. sort of accommodations can you provide for those uh, type of needs? Typically, great question. Typically, typically they um it's job development services and they're very very specific contracted services that are dedicated to helping them do their job successfully so let me give you an example so we have a lot of job development agencies that we're partnered with that um, work mostly for people with idd so what they do is after they become eligible i set up a, what i call a referral meeting we all get together with the job development agency and again it's informed choice so it's of their choosing they get to choose which job developer they want to work with essentially so they have that choice usually it's a, it's a collaboration there's a team so it's myself the individual their family member if they choose to be there and it's a person's choice client's choice who gets to be there their case manager or we also call it service coordinator with the county they're usually involved because they also provide support after case closure let me explain that to you as well um, they're involved so so typically it's all of us and the job developer will work with them every step of the way of achieving that employment goal that means they're going to work with them on developing their cover letter their resume they do what's called a master application they work with them on practicing their interviewing skills. So they'll do mock interviewing, which that a lot of people can benefit from that, not just folks with IDD. I've helped other people practice their interviewing skills, but that's a big one. And then what they do is depending on the person, they might go out and just carve a job 
for them through the employer. That means that they'll meet with the employer, they'll um, introduce the client, and, and they'll talk with them about finding a job that will meet their needs and their abilities. You know, this will, like for example, they'll say, "What are some jobs that you and your your staff don't have time to do that maybe this individual can help with?" Sometimes they just work a regular job, you know, stocking items at a store, part time. So it just depends. It looks differently for everybody. But once they get placed into the job, they get a job coach that will support them. It can be the whole time that they're at the job site or can just be part time. Everybody's different. Everyone has different needs. It just depends. The job coach skill is huge and it's really, really essential for folks with IDD because they get that extra one on one support and training that employers don't have time to do. And even when their case closes, if they're set up what we call long-term supports, if they are on, um, for example, if they're on OHP in Oregon, they qualify for long-term supports. That means that um, the county will continue funding their job coaching supports even after their file closes with Voc Rehab. So they reach a point where they're happy in their job, everything is going well, but they still need that job coach. Other than that, they're doing really, really well. We close their case and the county has already, because once they become stable in their job, the IDD services county, they'll take over for the job coaching supports. So they're totally set up for success just as long as the individual is willing to engage in the employment services. Yeah. What about uh, someone with physical disabilities who maybe uses a wheelchair or um, mobility device when the job site is not ADA compliant? Are you familiar with any cases like that happening and do you have any idea what might happen yeah, next um, oh gosh that's a great question if the building itself is not ada compliant at all and they're not the, the next thing we look for is how can they be accommodated right in this building if there's no way for them to be accommodated and the employer is not willing to make any changes we can't force them unfortunately mm. so we work with the client on finding something else that is going to be ada accessible you know maybe this facility is not ada accessible let's, let's look at other buildings that are ada accessible let's explore that together and find that out they can either do that with me or if it makes sense for them to work with the job developer yeah so it's not mm. necessarily always about keeping the job you have it sounds like that's sort of your primary goal but if if that is yeah. unrealistic or or not feasible for one reason or another then you continue to work with that person to find alternate employment at a location right. that might work better or with an employer that might be more flexible yeah and maybe you know now after covid a lot of people are able to work from home mm -hmm. And so that's another thing I would look at. So like if I had a client right now that said to me, Eva, you know, I, I just started using a wheelchair and I work for this building. They are not ADA accessible at all and I'm struggling. One of the things I would do is, is have them, you know, advocate for wanting to work from home. And I would help them out in that area. I wouldn't just say, okay, go ask your employer. I would provide them with whatever services I can to make that accommodation. And if the employer can't accommodate them, unfortunately, we can't do anything. And so that's when I would say, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's explore together on other employers that will accommodate your um, adaptive equipment that you're using. Yeah. If they can't work from home. It sounds like there's so much that you can do to help. And then there are also walls and barriers that you run into. Definitely um, roadblocks, yes. Yeah. How does that feel to be trying to navigate that universe where both of those things are happening all the time. 
it's really frustrating. It's really, really hard because, you know, Jesse, another thing that happens is sometimes they, sometimes clients will ask for services that are not aligned with our policies. We just can't, we don't have the funding or we can't justify it. And I hate telling them no. I hate it. That's It's a roadblock for me. But what I always try to do is look at other resources, like comparable resources that they can utilize so that they're not just walking away with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, in a situation like this, like what you mentioned, you know, I always look at too, if, if the individual is willing to work and if they're willing to be flexible, they will find something that works for them. Mm-hmm. One Another roadblock is there are folks who can't perform the same job that they used to be able to do, and that's all they know. Yeah. And so that's when we talk about another service that we offer for those folks. It's called career exploration with a job developer. That means that when they work with a job developer, they get to learn about jobs and careers that they never knew of before. That's so important. I'm getting the sense that a great deal of flexibility is required on the part of of, of you and on the uh, the client. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can really imagine. I mean, I've kind of been there. This whole thing of like you work this career. And Mm -hmm. your body changes, you can't do it anymore. And it's, you know, when I first left work, all I could think about was I need to be well enough to do my job, you know, not what other jobs can I do in my current state? It took me years to switch my brain to think about that. And and I didn't know, I still don't know how to find that. So this is something I might be looking into myself, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, finding some sort of like part-time work from home thing where I can make some income yeah. for the first time in six mm-hmm. years, you know, yeah. and I, you know, I, I'm so grateful to the patrons of this podcast. I just have to say having yeah. any income come in for creating this, which I love and want to make has been such a gift, but it's absolutely nice. not, you know, a living wage. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something else I wanted to mention too. Um, you know, sometimes clients will walk in the door and they'll, Bring, they'll bring up, they'll have unrealistic career goals. It happens. Yeah. And so instead of saying, nope, you can't do this. Like, for example, if someone says, I want to be a math teacher, but they always struggle in math, I, I won't say, no, you can't be a math teacher. You can't do it. Let's look at something else. Because that's, you know, it's it's hurtful and it's not cool because maybe they can do it. Who knows? You know? And so what I would recommend is I'll say, okay, let's take one math class together and see how that goes. Because typically, I forgot to also mention that we support students who want to pursue higher education. We can do that. Um, so, you know, if someone says, I, I'd like to get my bachelor's in math, I want to teach math, right? So I say, okay, but they've always been bad at math. Let's take one math class and see how that goes. If that goes well, let's take another math class, Mm. see how that goes. If they take and pass enough math class that might justify them being able to become a math teacher, maybe we move forward. If it's not a good fit at all, and they do terrible in that math class, I try to help them find something else that's kind of related to math, if that makes sense. Definitely. You know, another example, when somebody says, I want to be a YouTuber, which is not totally realistic, right? <laughs> it can't be, it just depends. Um, I, I'll work with them on finding something that might be similar that's related to it, but not quite a YouTuber. Yeah, I mean, I can absolutely say from experience that making any money off of content creation is is in- incredibly uh, random, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like no, sometimes sure. you might have... I mean, YouTube in particular, like you can get millions of views on one video and then like a hundred views on the next video. It's mm-hmm. really hard to predict um, consistent income from content creation, which is why I love Patreon so much. Right. But 
it sounds like you're kind of getting into this uh, area of like people wanting to pursue their dreams while mm-hmm. also having physical limitations of some kind. And that's mm-hmm. really complicated. You know, that's, I, I live in that world all the time. It's like, I want to be a content creator and that's how I spend all my, you know, energy that I have inside of my chronic illness. But I do recognize that it is, you know, I'd love for it to be a career. And the only way to make that happen is to keep trying and keep trying. But, you know, but you also have to be realistic and actually have a career that makes consistent income. So balancing those two things might be really complicated. Or even if someone, you know, like you said, wants to be a math teacher, that's their dream. Maybe they can no longer pursue that because of something that has happened to their body navigating that desire to pursue dreams versus the reality of of disability is so emotional and so difficult. I mean, how do you navigate that professionally? I look at too with clients because sometimes there are things that they can do. They just can't do it right now. And so what I'll do is I'll work with them on adopting short-term goals and then long-term goals. Mm. So it's like, okay, well, let's, the most important thing right now is you want to start making money and you want to be out in the community. Um, let's find a short-term job goal that's realistic for you. And then work on whatever skills you need to get those long-term goals achieved. And then maybe later on, you can come back and reopen your case to achieve that long-term goal if it turns out to be realistic. Yeah. And that's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, I think like, for example, someone who like the math teacher example we brought up, you know, maybe... Maybe they can just teach one math class, like a basic math class online for a little bit and see how that goes. And But this is something they would do on their own because it's not consistent income. So we would help, I would help that individual on finding a job where they can have some kind of consistent income to make a living. And then maybe on the side, if they slowly want to go back to teaching math because it's what they love, maybe they can just teach one class on the side, you know, maybe teach it online. Might yeah. be easier, right? Yeah, and this that's super this is super interesting because this crosses over to just the population at large. You know, you don't need to be disabled to to have barriers pursuing your dreams. Um, yeah. but we're just kind of talking about this one particular thing and it, the service yeah. that exists to help people, um mm-hmm. which is which is really interesting because it, you know, everyone is unique and everyone's life goals and everyone's disabilities are unique. So it's it sounds like this intersection of all of that and just trying to find Use creativity, find the best way forward, be flexible, be willing to try things and not be so rigid in what it is that you want your life to be. Absolutely. Another thing too, I forgot to mention is we also help folks opening up their own business, self-employment. Again, it has to be realistic. It can't be a hobby. Sometimes people will come in and they'll say, oh, I make these bracelets. I want to open up my own business and sell these bracelets, you know, um, it, it, and I'm not saying that's not realistic. It could be for somebody. It's just an example. But if it's not a hobby and it's determined that this person can actually make a reasonable living, we'll support it. We will support it. We, it's an assessment. We have to go through an assessment process and we refer them to another agency who will help them from start to finish. And they have to kind of approve it as well. And so um, that's another thing we do. So they don't, there are options for folks who are having a hard time finding an employer to work for. You know, if, if they're creative enough and they have the skill, they can open up their own business and we can help with that. Wow. Yeah. It's, it really sounds like for certain people, there might be a process of getting out of your own way of like mm-hmm. being too rigid about what it is that you expect. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that, it sounds like that's something you try to counsel, counsel people through and yes. to find new options that they might not have considered. Yep. Yep. And another thing, I mean, there have been times where clients have said, you know, I'm just, I'm not getting what I want or what I want to do. I haven't figured it out. Just close my case for now. It rarely happens, but sometimes that happens. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, please come back. You know, please come back. I'd love to help you. Yeah. Do you follow up with people once their cases are closed? If you've like closed the case because you have placed them Mm -hmm. in Uh a job where they want to be and they are happy do you check in with them periodically in the future? <laughs> you asked me a hard question. <laughs> I would love to. I haven't had the chance because our caseloads are just so high and we're so sure. busy. It just hasn't been um, feasible to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes if I accidentally email a client, because a lot of my clients have the same names, like I'm not sharing information, but like I'll start an email. I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to email them. But I'll just let me just say hi. How are you? Checking in, you know. So yeah. occasionally that will happen, but typically um, it's just not realistic, you know, to do that. They always come back too. I mean, clients they know once they realize that door is open, they will come back. They know they can come back, and a lot of them do. So if someone needs more help in the future, they will come to you. Yeah, or if they if the job didn't work out, mm. if, if it turned out like it might. Because what we do is once they get placed into a job, we wait until they become stable. And then once they become stable after 90 days, if all is good and they're happy, we close their case. But anything can happen after that. Sometimes things come up, poor management, you know, or something, or the individual suddenly experiences something and it gets in the way of the job. Something happens. So they'll, they know that they can come back and reopen their case. And oftentimes they'll ask for the former counselor who assisted with them. It sounds like you're someone who really wants to help people and to make a difference in the world. Doing this work, do you feel like you are doing that? Yes, I do. And and I'm so happy about it. You know, I don't, I'll never get rich being a VRC or vocational rehabilitation counselor, but knowing that I love what I'm doing, I, I love helping clients, love helping people. It just makes me so happy. Not only that, our office is awesome. We have really, really good leadership. We have good staff that work with us, you know, or like my colleagues, I should say, you know, that's another really important thing too, to me is not only do I love serving my clients, that's why I'm there, but I also love my work environment. And that means a lot to me. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to touch on? One more thing I forgot to mention is we offer career assessments for those who are trying to decide not just career exploration, but career assessments, they can take them online. We would um, we would definitely guide them on where to go and how to go about doing it. But they would take they would answer a bunch of multiple choice questions mm. help that would help guide them to their career choices. So that was one more thing I wanted to cover. I've only been doing um, this for a couple, like maybe two, three years, specifically vocational rehabilitation around two, three years. You know, everything you heard today, it's coming from my perspective, my views, what I've learned. There's a lot out there I still don't know that I'm still learning about. And so I just think it's important for listeners to understand that. I think that's so important to say. And, you know, we we can never cover everything. Every episode of the podcast, we talk about people's stories. We can never cover someone's entire life, you know. And this sounds like it's such an individualized field. But what you've done today is you've given us a really great introduction to vocational rehab. You've taught us about what it is and that it exists at all and given us some 
you know, real world tangible things to try, which is totally. so valuable. So you did a really, really awesome job, Eva. Thank you Thank so you. much for sharing your expertise and for introducing me to something that I knew nothing about that I am now excited about. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick. And our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.